0: Welcome into another episode of X's and Opinions. My name is Jory Mickens, your host today. And alongside me, I have Heaven Hill and Jimmy Bliss. Fellas, how are you doing this afternoon?
1: Jory, I'm doing fantastic. It's always great to be on one of these. And I mean, the, the rundown was superb. So I'm excited to talk about anything and everything.
2: Yeah, just like Heaven said, Jory, excited for this episode. We had a huge week of sports with everything going on between multiple leagues, so I'm really excited to get into this episode and talk everything over.
0: Yes, you're exactly right, Jimmy. There's plenty of uh, big sports news um, this past week, but we'll start here with some huge news regarding the Los Angeles Lakers and the NBA, of course. The team acquired Russell Westbrook in a blockbuster trade Thursday night in a, in a deal that sent Kyle Kuzma, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and Montrez Harrell to the Washington Wizards um, in exchange for the superstar point guard. And, you know, Heaven, since you're the, I guess, the in-house Lakers fan, expert, whatever you want to call it, aficionado, we'll start with you. Do you think this move acquiring Westbrook makes the Lakers the favorite to come out of the Western Conference this season or this coming season, I should say? You know what, Jory, Uh,
1: before we traded for Westbrook, I had the Lakers coming out of the Western Conference regardless. Um, I just don't see a team beating a healthy LeBron James and Anthony Davis four out of seven times in a series. I mean, the the first season, they were together. They ended up winning a championship. And this past year before Anthony Davis went down, the Lakers were up 2-1 to in a series against a team that would eventually come out of the Western Conference. So, you know, with all the moving pieces and with Kawhi Leonard's injury, you know, uh, limiting the Clippers, you know, and, and what they can do next season, I had the Lakers coming out of the Western Conference just in general. But after acquiring Russell Westbrook, my prediction doesn't really change. And I think this is a move that makes them even better. I mean, you look at what was given up. Sure, Montrezl Harrell was a, a solid bench piece scoring over 13 points a game and even increased that up to, to 19 points a game in March, you know, during the, the, the bulk of, of Anthony Davis' missed time. And, and Kentavious Caldwell-Pope. You know, lights out shooter. He's the reason why LeBron came to, to L.A., or at least a big reason. You know, he's been here for a few years. And, and the same with Kuz, you know, the development that, that he showcased year after year after year, going from, you know, that that microwave score to, you know, this past season being a rebounding and a defensive presence. The Lakers did give up a, a bunch of value, but Russell Westbrook is is easily worth it. You know, Montrezl Harrell in these past playoffs didn't really do much. Kuz, his role was, you know, all over the place. I mean, KCP was the only really big loss for the Lakers in this deal. And when you bring back someone like Russell Westbrook, you know, as polarizing as he is, you can't, you know, ignore the fact that he is one of the best point guards in the league. You know, and the job he was able to do for Washington this past year. I think it was extremely necessary for the Lakers to go out and get a point guard. You know, we saw this past season what they tried with Dennis Schroeder. That experiment didn't really work. You know, I thought Schroeder was going to be a good piece for them. And then, you know, the inconsistencies and the contract disputes and being suspended a couple times late in the year for for contact tracing and and missing this much time in these games, it just didn't really work out, you know, to the point where – Now there's a chance he could leave in free agency. He could be, you know, included in a sign and trade. Long story short, there was just, you know, a question mark at the point guard position. So the Lakers went out and got an answer to that question. You know, I think Russell Westbrook, while, you know, there are limitations or issues in his game, I still think he's a phenomenal playmaker. I think he can, you know, uh, take the ball out of LeBron's hands a little bit again he's going to be 37 38 I don't know how old he is at this point but you know he's not getting any younger at acquiring Russell Westbrook you know he gets that 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 player that can you know take some of those creation and, and playmaking duties from LeBron you know and, and King James can play off ball a little and he can you know be the role man for a pick and roll. He can cut back door. Like there's just so many ways, you know, you can use him. And I don't think the Lakers are, are done making moves yet, but you know, having LeBron and Anthony Davis is already, you know, a pretty formidable duo and now getting someone like Russell Westbrook, I think that makes the Lakers extremely dangerous.
2: I agree with you, heaven, to a certain extent. I think that, Any team that has LeBron on it is automatically the favorite to get to the NBA finals off of their conference. I think as long as he was with Cleveland, at least the last few years in Cleveland the first time around, every year he was with the Miami Heat, then when he went back to Cleveland, and then every year he was with the Lakers, he was the best player on arguably the best team in the league. So he is definitely... The favorite to come out of the west as far as i believe i think lebron just at this point in his career not only is he still a fantastic player but he elevates the game of everyone else around him he's able to get players that are c borderline b minus players up to playing to a bb plus b+ level just because of his iq his intensity and just how good of an overall teammate that lebron james is Now that they have Russell Westbrook, I still do believe that they're the favorites to come out of the West, but I don't feel as strong about the Lakers as you do, Heaven. I do think that with Russell Westbrook, you get a good player, but you get some limitations. I think you get a lot of what LeBron has in Russell Westbrook. And Russell Westbrook is a fantastic player, don't get me wrong, but he is a triple-double machine, but he also seems to shrink in big games. He isn't the greatest shooter, and LeBron is best when he's surrounded by shooters, players that can stay behind the three-point line and chuck up threes either from the corner or from the wing, anywhere. And unfortunately for Russell Westbrook, that's not his game. The best thing that Russell Westbrook does is get into the paint and hit layups, dunk the ball, just be a nuisance for defensive players by dribbling around everywhere and having the creativity as well as the athleticism himself, to finish chances. Now, they are still the favorites in the West, but I still don't feel as great. We'll have to see what happens with free agency starting in just a few days' time, tomorrow at the time of recording, but officially things can't be official until a few days afterward. I think that if the Mavericks, the Suns, the Clippers, if they're really... Really active in free agency and in the trade market, they could potentially catch up to the Lakers and being the favorites in the West. But right now, as I see it, the Los Angeles Lakers with LeBron James, with Anthony Davis, who I think is the best duo of players in the NBA, you add another top 20, 25 player in Russell Westbrook, and they're still the favorites to come out of the West, in my opinion. Doesn't look as strong on paper because I think that they do need some bench depth, they do need some shooters, but It's still going to be exciting to see what Russell Westbrook can do now that he's back in L.A., where he spent most of his college days at UCLA. Well,
0: I'm personally really excited about this big three, to be honest. You know, I'm a – I'm not – I wouldn't say I'm a a Lakers fan, per se. Uh, They've ousted one of my favorite teams quite a few times in in recent memory. But, I mean, that being said – You know, you kind of mentioned, Jimmy, how the Westbrook doesn't necessarily fit perfectly with LeBron and Anthony Davis. To that, I kind of say every time a big three like this comes together, whenever you have a collection of three all-star, superstar players, there's always questions. There's always holes in, in, you know, in a trio. You look at the most recent, you know, formation of a big three in the Brooklyn Nets, everyone was questioning how, one would, there's only one basketball to go around and there are three pretty ball dominant players that didn't seem to stop them. You know, I think if they had not gotten injured in the playoffs, they probably would have went a lot further than they did. And, you know, defensively, I think they surprised a lot of people as well. You know, you look back at some of the Miami Heat teams with LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, a big question there, I think was shooting, you know, perimeter shooting. And again, how would Dwayne Wade and LeBron mesh? But I feel like uh, one story that I saw, though, is the three of them, that being LeBron, Anthony Davis, and Westbrook, kind of met together, and they all said, we're going to set our egos aside, and we're going to make this work. And, you know, sometimes you read that, and you're like, yeah, okay, whatever. You know, you, they're just saying that. We'll see what happens come, you know, when the season starts. But for whatever reason, I feel like they, these three in particular understand, you know, the value of a championship, obviously, LeBron and Anthony Davis won together in 2020. I think Westbrook coming home, back to Los Angeles, back to California, he's gonna be ecstatic to play uh, for the Lakers. So I feel like it it could really work out. Obviously the Lakers need to, you know, fill out the rest of their roster with capable role players. But I mean, a big three of LeBron, Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook, at this point in time, it doesn't get much better than that in my opinion. Um, but I kind of want to look at the other side of things now with the wizards, because obviously with every trade, there's two sides of it. Did you guys think the wizards got enough in return for Russell Westbrook? Again, they got Kyle Kuzma, KCP and Montrez Harrell. They also acquired the 22nd pick in the, this year's NBA draft, but they eventually traded that to the Indiana Pacers, but. Did you guys think this was good value for the Wizards or do you think they could have gotten more?
2: I don't see an issue with what the Wizards got in return for Russell Westbrook. Now, I'm not the biggest Russell Westbrook guy in the world. I think he has a lot of limitations. And frankly, I think he's playing in the wrong era of the NBA. But who they got in return, they're going to be pretty solid role players, maybe a starter or two. And I think that with Bradley Beal, these players can bring the Wizards back to the playoffs next year and as long as Beal stays they could be maybe a top six top five seed in the Eastern Conference this coming year I think Kyle Kuzma is going to thrive in Washington I think playing out out of LeBron's shadow in the East Coast with a more relaxed environment the media won't be on him all day every day he very quietly averaged 13 points per game last year was a very solid player off the bench the entire year, and he was good in the playoffs as well. Montrez Harrell, I mean, he just won Sixth Man of the Year two years ago when he was with the Los Angeles Clippers. I think that he's going to come into the Clipper, uh, excuse me, he's going to come into Washington with the Wizards. I think he's going to be the starting center. And he's going to play very, very well, especially with not too many big men out in the East Conference. He's going to be pretty dominant against some of the not so great Eastern Conference centers. As far as KCP goes, he kind of regressed every year that he was in Los Angeles. He had thirteen points per game in his first year, eleven in his second, nine in his third, and then nine this past year. But he averaged fourteen points per game in his first two, excuse me, in his last two seasons in Detroit. So he's a pretty decent Eastern Conference player. I think that if you put him back in the East Coast with a player like Bradley Beal, who's going to be able to create shots for him he's going to be a much better player than he was over the past few seasons. And also one last thing to note is Westbrook was only under contract for this season and next. So he only had two seasons left on his deal. So they weren't going to get a huge haul for him regardless. And he's also had, he also has a huge contract. He's getting paid 40 plus million over the next two seasons. So not a lot of teams are going to be paying, are going to be giving up a lot for a player like Russell Westbrook, who's got two years left on his deals, getting paid, so much it cleans up the books for Detroit to potentially excuse me not Detroit for Washington to make a bigger move potentially trade to get someone to play alongside Bradley Beal because that freed up 40 million in cap space so I'm overall not too fussed with what the Wizards got in return I think they might have been able to get maybe another first round pick but overall I'm not too upset with what the Wizards got in return
1: yeah I would say I agree with Jimmy I mean Like, what they got in return was, you can say, or you can argue that it was more than enough value for for someone with Westbrook's contract. I mean, like Jimmy mentioned, he's going to be 32, I think, this year, 33, paying him. I think he's getting 40 mil this year and 44 mil the next year. Like, that's just, that's a lot of money to pay for someone who has offensive limitations the way he does. So you get back a uh, first-round pick, which I believe they traded to, to Indiana to, to get something in the future, or maybe another pick Thursday, I'm forgetting. But you made that move. Then you got KCP, who is, you know, one of Bradley Beale's closest friends. You know, he'll uh, apparently slot right into the Wizards' uh, starting small forward spot. So, so he'll be there. Again, like Jimmy said, he can space the floor for Bradley Beale. You can get open shots, you know, with the gravity that that Bill uh, brings. Kuz, I mean, like Jimmy mentioned, you know, while he might not be taking as many shots as he did in his first two seasons with the Lakers, this past year I think it was his most complete season. You know, he really uh, took it upon himself to to improve in in other facets of his game. In terms of his rebounding, he was crashing the glass. You know, every night it seemed uh, three-point shooting, his percentage was, I think, the highest it's been since his rookie season. Like, just his his shot quality was was much improved, and he showcased that he can still, you know, score in bunches, like Jimmy said. So I think if he starts in in Washington or he comes off the bench, you know, that's instant offense. And the same with Montrez Harrell. You know, this is a, a former sixth man of the year we're talking about. You know, last season signing for the the MLE with L.A., you know, while it didn't work out, he's still uh, an offensive weapon. And, you know, defense might not be a strong suit, but he's still going to give you those gritty minutes down the stretch that that every team needs. So I think Washington did did really well to to get off of the the Westbrook deal. I'm a little confused as to why they traded Westbrook. I thought. Russell was only getting traded in the event that Beal would get traded. And then, you know, Beal said he committed to Washington, and then Westbrook was just out the door like an hour before the draft. So, hey, Russ, he's taking this opportunity to try and go, you know, win a ring in his hometown. And Washington, they got back, you know, while they didn't get back any, any young prospects because Kuz is like 26 now, they didn't get back anyone young. They still managed to get – uh, assets and in, in, in depth in return, so I think they did they did pretty well in terms of getting back really as much as you can for someone with that contract, you know, for for that value.
0: Yeah, I think I would have to agree. I like, I, I kind of like this haul that the Wizards got. Um, I personally think Kyle Kuzma could have a breakout season um, in Washington. I don't think it's a surprise that the two best. Statistical seasons of his career came during his rookie season without LeBron and then his second year when LeBron missed most. When LeBron joined the Lakers and then missed most of that season due to injury, you know, he was also consistently a starter in those two seasons, whereas you know, the last two he was mainly a uh, six man for for Los Angeles. But you know, it's it's tough to trade a player like Westbrook One because you mentioned Jimmy the contract. And two, because he kind of requested a trade and gave a preferred destination saying he wanted to go to Los Angeles. So it's difficult to trade a player, you know, when other teams are know um, where he wants to play. And the fact that he obviously doesn't want to be in Washington anymore. It's hard to get value for a player like that. But that being said, I think the Wizards could have a, a relatively good season. If Bradley Beal decides to stay, I think, that, that'll definitely be a positive. I think Rui Hachimura, and then, like I said, Kyle Kuzma, and then, of course, KCP and Montrez Harrell, I think they're all going to be valuable contributors to, to the Wizards this coming season. But that being said, also on Thursday, you know, this was not the only big news in the NBA that came on Thursday uh, because the NBA draft was also that night. And, you know... Heaven and I, at least, were on an NBA draft specialty show um, covering the entire, entire draft. So, you know, if you have the, I guess, endurance to sit through and watch that entire thing again, you can. But um, we kind of previewed some winners and losers already during that show. And instead, I feel like we could recognize some other players here today. So we'll start here which prospect in the NBA draft in this most recent NBA draft has sleeper potential, or, you know, who's a late round player that you guys think could outperform their draft position. And I guess, Jimmy, you can start.
2: All right. Thank you for the floor, Jory. And one player that I feel like is going to have a very good rookie season, as well as a very healthy career in the NBA. And he was drafted Very, very late. He's drafted 54th overall, 52nd overall, excuse me. That's Luca Garza. I'm a huge Luca Garza fan, and I'm not 100% certain why he was getting the slander that he was and why he wasn't getting respected as much as he should be. He was the consensus player of the year this past year. He averaged 24 points per game, nine rebounds, and two assists in his senior season with the Hawkeyes. And that was in the Big Ten, which had great teams like Michigan, like Illinois, Ohio State. This is a fantastic conference, and he dominated every time that he took the floor. He was the best player on the floor, and it wasn't even close. He also shot 55% from the field, 44% from three, which for a big man, especially in college, that's absolutely absurd. from the free throw line as well, which is, once again, very, very good for a big man. In the NBA, we see some big men struggle from the free throw lines, but if Luka Gard is able to get himself to the free throw line, either in the G League in his first year in the league, or if he eventually gets into the NBA on the NBA roster for the Detroit Pistons, I think he'll have a lot of success, and he'll be able to chip away at leads and extend leads and do what he can to get Detroit back into games. he's going to be competing with Julio Okafor and Mason Plumlee for time on the floor. And Mason Plumlee, I'm a Nets fan, and I know that he has pretty good potential and he's a pretty good player. I've saw him playing with Brooklyn for a few years back in the mid 2010s. And so he's a pretty good player, but Julio Okafor, I feel like he could potentially take some time off the floor from Julio Okafor. And lastly, I think it's a good spot for him to land because the Pistons probably don't have very high expectations for this year just having that first pick in the draft and getting uh, Cunningham. So I think that if he's going to be able to get on the floor and get some minutes, that the Pistons are not going to be regretting his draft choice, 52nd overall. You can do a lot worse things with the 52nd overall pick, but getting the consensus All-American Player of the Year, that's a very, very good spot to be able to get in the second round. And I'm looking forward to seeing how Luka Garza does in the rest of his NBA career.
1: Jimmy, that's an interesting pick. You know, Luca Garza, if there's one thing that he can do is is post up and, and score with his back to the basket. Um, during that 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 five hour stream Thursday, uh, I I said a lot of good things about Sharif Cooper, who got drafted by the Hawks. So I'm not gonna go back to that well. But um the the one late round or excuse me, the one prospect that was drafted a, a little bit later in the draft that I think will have a really good NBA career is uh, Jaden Springer who went to the Philadelphia 76ers um I had Jaden Springer as a top five prospect and he somehow slid all the way to 28 it was the the most confusing thing like with Sharif I understood why he slid you know like you just look at his three-point shooting numbers at Auburn and you know small sample size he only played 12 games and He's a little small for the point guard position and da, 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 he might've shot poorly on workouts. Like, I, I understood why he slid, even if I wasn't a fan of it. Jaden Springer sliding down the board. I don't know why that happened. Um, He's 18, elite defensively. He shot 44% from three. He drove to the basket quite a bit. He had a, a nice assist percentage. I mean, it seemed as if he did everything. You know, he led the volunteers in scoring. You know, so to see him fall to 28 and to see the Spurs pick someone like Josh Primo at 12, it just didn't make much sense to me because Jaden Springer is better than Josh Primo at really everything. I think Josh Primo attempted more threes per 100 possessions. I think that's like the one thing that Josh Primo had an advantage in, but it's like Springer did more with the ball in his hands and was a better playmaker and miles better on defense. And he shot better at the rim. Like it was just like, it just made no sense to me as to how one went in the lottery and one was two picks away from falling out of the first round. So I think the 76ers got an absolute steal. For the second year in a row. I mean, we saw what Tyrese Maxey did throughout the season last year. It was super obvious. He's on his way to being a really good player. And, and Jaden Springer landing someone with that talent that late in the draft is just a, a fleecing. So, yeah, if I had to pick one sleeper that, you know, in my eyes really isn't a sleeper, it, it would have to be Jaden Springer.
0: Yeah, I like both of you guys' picks. I think Garza going to Detroit, I think that's an interesting draft haul, like you mentioned. Getting Cade Cunningham, arguably the best player in the entire draft, and then at the end of the draft, you pick up arguably the best player from college basketball this past season. It's pretty interesting, you know, dynamic there. And then Jaden Springer to the Sixers, definitely a steal in my opinion. I think he'll immediately make an impact on that team. But... I'm going with a bit of a Homer pick, and this is a player who was actually kind of previewed a little bit on WSOU Sports's um, webpage. We had a staff member write an article about him. That's Nishan Bones Highland, who got drafted number 26 overall to the Denver Nuggets. I think he has a lot of sleeper potential especially with Jamal Murray set to miss most of the regular season with the torn ACL. I thought that Denver's most pressing issue this coming season would be perimeter shot making perimeter scoring, however you want to phrase it. And I don't think the nuggets could have picked a better prospect at that point of the draft than bones Highland to kind of fulfill that role or fulfill that void. He's a tremendous three point shooter who has very deep range And he also has some off-the-dribble shot creation as well. He's a really, really good catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. I'm really excited to see how he'll gel next to Nikola Jokic, you know, the reigning MVP, as well as all the other good playmakers on that team. And uh, another reason why I just like Highland to Denver is because Tim Connolly, who is the president of basketball operations for the Nuggets, he has consistently drafted players and has always said that his philosophy is to draft players who have, you know, a chip on their shoulder, people who are overlooked constantly and have no issue finding the motivation to work harder than the next guy. So I really feel like he's going to be a really good fit just in Denver's culture in general, not to mention his skill set. So I'm I'm very excited to see how he'll play out in his rookie season and, you know, throughout his entire career. But that being said, kind of want to look at the opposite end of the spectrum. Who are some prospects that you guys think have a lot of bust potential? Some early, early round players who you guys think could underwhelm this season?
1: You know, Jory, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say Davion Mitchell. Uh, I mentioned this Thursday, and I'm going back to the well again. Unfortunately, that pick just made no sense it just really made no sense. Like, okay, right? Yes, he's a a really good player. You know, one of the the best players on the national champion, Baylor Bears. You know, obviously, like, what he can do defensively and, you know, going to the basket and creating his own shot. Like, I get it. Like, I, I totally understand the idea behind him as a player. I just don't see how he'll provide top 10 pick value at the next level. Um it's a lot easier to defend in college than the NBA, I presume. Um in college, he might be able to guard two, three different positions, but in the NBA, he's now six one in shoes. I don't really see him guarding small forwards, power forwards, you know, players on the wing. And people are like, oh well, Drew Holiday does it. Like, no that's that's just a a certain case and you'd be like oh well you know he can be Pat Bev like it's it's really not the same um also the jump shot I don't think it'll be consistent um this past year at Baylor he shot I believe it was like 44 percent from three uh last year I believe it was at like 32 percent the year before was like 28 percent so to get a, a random jump like that it concerns me and his free throw percentage is still remained in that 65 percent neighborhood so he didn't get like a 65 percent to 75 percent you know free throw percentage jump to where I could be like oh you know he just worked on his shooting in the offseason you know I can I can trust this sample size from this season like no He was just getting a lot of looks generated for him by Jared Butler, who I believe is the the miles better prospect. And then you factor in the fact that he's 22, getting ready to be 23 before the season starts. He's going to be 26, 27 at the end of his rookie deal. Like, I just don't see why they would do that. And then on top of that, you factor in, At the time of the draft, they already had uh, De'Aaron Fox, Tyrese Halliburton. They traded for Terrence Davis at the trade deadline. I think he should be out of the league, but that's the topic for another day. They also traded for De'Lon Wright at the trade deadline. Now, they did flip De'Lon Wright for Tristan Thompson, but at the time of the draft, De'Lon Wright was on their roster. So they already had like four guards that you know could get a bunch of minutes. So then you plug Davion Mitchell into that. And then you have, you know, one of their guys in their front office saying that they envision him being able to guard four positions. That's not happening. <laughs> like, that just isn't happening. So, I don't know, man. It's it's going to be interesting. They're going to try and run him out there with, with Tyrese and with De'Aaron. You know, three guard lineups. We've seen them work before. We've also seen them fail terribly. I think they could have gotten much better value. I think... You know, with Harrison Barnes potentially out the door, with Rashawn Holmes probably out the door. I'll be mentioning him in a little bit. You could have went for a wing or a big someone like Jalen Johnson or or other players in that area. Moses Moody. Instead, you go with the the small, already old for a prospect guard, you know, who isn't as good as the one Indiana landed at 13 in Duarte. So it's just all bad man. It's just all bad, but that's that's the Kings for you.
2: Those are shots fired right there by heaven. That's the Kings for you as a Lakers fan. I'm not going to go that far, but you went with the top 10 pick, have. I'm also going with the top 10 pick. I'm actually going for a top 5 pick. And I am not a huge fan of Scotty Barnes. So maybe it's just my Florida gate My Florida Gator root's coming out, and he's not liking a Seminole. But how many top five players in the NBA draft history didn't start for their college team? I don't know how many have done that. And he started seven of the 24 games that he's played in. So clearly the Florida State Seminole head coach didn't think he was good enough to start. So that's a red flag for me right there. Every time that I would put on a a Florida State game, I'd be looking for him and he'd be on the bench and I wasn't exactly sure why. I don't know, was he injured or do they need to rest him or what? But it seems like pretty much every time that I put him on, he was on the bench. And then when he did come off the bench, he wasn't super impressive to me. He only averaged 10 points, four rebounds and four assists a game, which means he's a pretty much all-around player. But 10 points per game from the number four overall pick isn't eye-opening to me. He shot 50% from the field, which isn't bad, but 28% from three isn't great. 62% from the free throw line, once again, that's not that's not great. It's not bad, but it's not great. And when you have the number four overall pick, you want them to be great. You want to be getting a, a franchise-changing player. And I do trust Nick Nurse and the Toronto Raptors. I think they're a world-class organization. I think they're great at developing players. We saw how Pascal Siakam just absolutely transformed his game and became An all-time player, very very quickly, and he was able to be on that championship team and win them that championship. We I think we all remember that game one against the Warriors where he had thirty points. But I don't think that Scotty Barnes starting just seven of the twenty-four games. I mean that's a third of the games that he played in. He started. That's not a good book to me. He didn't have the best numbers. They weren't bad, but. They were not the best, and like I said, when he entered the game, he just kind of played like an average player. He wasn't having fantastic shooting occurrences or grabbing these monstrous boards or playmaking really well. I remember watching a game against UNC, the Tar Heels, and I came back to my dorm to watch it, and I was looking for him, and I saw that he was a top-five prospect, and I was really excited to watch him, but it just didn't pop. So maybe that's why I don't see him as the great prospect that a lot of NBA minds see him as. I was just a little bit disappointed with him all year long. And I'm rooting for the kid. I hope he has a great NBA career, but I just don't see it really happening for him at the next level.
0: Yeah, both of your picks are very interesting. You know, it's it's weird to see teams consistently taking players at positions that aren't necessarily of need. Like you mentioned, heaven, like the Kings. They have De'Aaron Fox, who's their best player on the team, who's a point guard. And then they just drafted Tyrese Halliburton. Hallie, oh, my gosh. Tyrese Halliburton last year, who's also, you know, a point guard, combo guard, whatever you want to label him. I don't understand why you go Davion Mitchell there. And then, you know, in your case, Jimmy, with Scotty Barnes, you have Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi in Toronto, two relatively similar players to Scotty Barnes. Then you use the number four overall pick on on Barnes rather than a player who a lot of people believe would go there and Jalen Suggs. It's interesting, but, you know, we'll see how both of those players, you know, their careers pan out. The player I want to mention is a player, Heaven, you kind of uh, said during your your spiel about Jaden Springer, that's uh, Joshua Primo going number 12 to the San Antonio Spurs. I don't know if he's necessarily going to be a bad player. I just feel like it'll be a regrettable pick for the Spurs, mainly because, one, he's a project, and, you know, I believe he's the youngest player in this year's draft. Um, And, again, this is kind of, you know, remains in the same lane of what I was just mentioning, how shooting guard for San Antonio was not a position of need um, because they obviously have who they drafted last year, Devin Vassell, who was the number 11 overall pick in last year's draft, as well as Derek White and Lonnie Walker. So, again, not necessarily a position of need for the Spurs. And then, two, if you were going to go shooting guard, why not take the three players who were – um gonna go or who got drafted behind him all three shooting guards who all probably are gonna have one better starts to their career and potentially better careers overall that being Chris Duarte Moses Moody and um Corey Kispert you know all players who play the same play the same position uh, and will probably have better starts uh, to their careers um but we all know that NBA fans love to, to bury players quickly because they don't pan out within the first two or three years. I kind of get that sense with Primo. I, he could be a solid player eventually, but I just feel like the Spurs messed this one up. Um, you know, they have so many good backcourt players already. It's just a weird pick, in my opinion. But that being said, one last thing on, on the draft uh, before we talk about some free agency news um I want to get your guys's just favorite pick of the whole draft and I feel like even if we had the same answer for this question I wouldn't be you know upset but that being said who was your favorite player that you saw got drafted uh this past Thursday?
2: Jory I don't think I'd be allowed back on the Seton Hall campus if I didn't say Sandro Mamokalishvili here when he got drafted to the Bucs everyone was on Seton Hall's campus smiling and so happy to see all the hard work pan out from the time that he was a freshman and he was just coming off the bench trying to impact the game however he can averaging just a few points a game to just the past season when he was voted uh, all big east player of the year everyone just saw the way that he developed and became such a really really good player he's a fan favorite here and it's clear to see why when he averaged 18 points eight rebounds and three assists per game in his senior season shot 43 percent from the field and at 6'11", he didn't just take a bunch of layups he was able to take mid-range shots off the elbow he was able to shoot 34 percent from three and 71 percent from the free throw line so just like what I mentioned earlier with Luca Garza, he's very productive at the free throw line for a guy that's 6'11 and could play the power forward position in the NBA. But not just that, because stats won't tell you this story. He's a great ball handler for a 6'11 player, a great dribbler as well. And I think I liken his ability to handle the ball and to dribble the ball. Now, I don't think he's going to become this player, but his on ball skills are very similar to Bam Adebayo's. And I went to a Knicks Heat game earlier this season and saw Bam Adebayo play, and he was bringing up the ball at the court. He was able to cross up Taj Gibson. He was able to create his own buckets, and he's a center. And that reminded me a lot of what Central mamokel would do when he would bring the ball up with Seton Hall, where he would have some Euro steps. He would be able to cross up some defenders, create some space, and knock down an open look. So I'm really excited to see what Sandro mamu really can do in the NBA. He's the first Pirate drafted since 2016 with Isaiah Whitehead going to the Brooklyn Nets in the second round. But ultimately, I do think that Mamu is going to be a good 10- to 15-year player in the NBA. He'll probably go to the G League for the first few seasons, refine his game, maybe bulk up a little bit, get a little bit better defensively. But he's got all the skills that you want with the ability to shoot, the ability to create, and his ability to get into the lane and make tough layups. I think that this was a home run pick for the Milwaukee Bucks and I can't wait to see how his career unfolds.
1: Yeah, Jimmy, when, when Sandro got drafted on Thursday, you should have saw us in the stream, man. It was like, just pure elation. It was it was crazy to, to, to see that happen and, and we're excited for him and, and best of luck in his future endeavors. But, uh, for, for my favorite pick of the draft, I, I was talking about Sharif a lot Thursday, so I'm going to avoid going back to the well with him. I'm going to say Franz Wagner with uh, going to the Orlando Magic. Um, I have Franz as a top 10 player, and, and him going to that team, it's just so perfect. Like, literally, okay, so the the leap he made from his freshman season to his sophomore season, was, in my opinion, you know, one of the the best improvements, you know, from year one to year two in this draft, if not the best. Um, defensively, he's one of the best defenders in the country, just super versatile, you know, being able to, to slide his feet and, and the lateral quickness he showcased. I mean, he's just really stellar on that end, you know, as a rim protector and, you know, with his wingspan, he can get in passing lanes. I think he's 6'9 right now, but some pictures, he looks like he's 6'11, like, I don't know. But then offensively, the leap he made was insane. Like, his freshman season, you know, there weren't any signs that he could evolve into what he became this past year. And and, and this past season, you know, shooting off the dribble, he was amazing. You know, all dribble jumpers just in general. in the pick and roll, his vision is, is right there. He's a smart passer. He sees the floor well. He's comfortable in those situations. You know, I don't think he could be a, a primary initiator like a Cade Cunningham or like a Sharif Cooper. But I think as as, as far as a, a connector or as a, a secondary playmaker, like in that, in that Lonzo role or the role I think Suggs can play at the next level, like I think he's just amazing. And then having him on that team with defenders like Suggs, like Jonathan Isaac, like Mo Bamba, you know, that, that, that team, is just it's just wingspan. Mike Markel Fultz is there too. They're, they're super scary. And I just love his fit with that team. And I think the Magic can be really dangerous in a couple of years.
0: Yeah, I think the Magic had a, a pretty good draft, especially in the first round, picking up, well, uh Wagner, as you mentioned, and then Jalen Suggs, fifth overall. That's a pretty good haul right there. But I think I'm going to go down more the lane than Jimmy did. And I'm going to say not only Sandro feely because obviously, you know, being a the Hall, we're, you know, ecstatic to see him get drafted. But I was just happy to see four former Big East players get drafted. That being James Booknight, who went to the Hornets. Jeremiah Robinson Earl of Villanova, who went to the Thunder, Marcus Zagorowski, who was a Creighton Blue Jay to the Nets, and then of course Mamou to the Bucks. Um, You know, this was—it's just great to see Big East players get recognition because I feel like in the NBA they're always slighted, and they—they don't get the respect that some of the other top conferences do. But um, I think these four in particular are going to show to the world that. You know, the Big East has a lot to offer in in the world of basketball. So I'm very excited for each of those players. And I think they're each going to carve a a good role within their respective organizations. With that being said, we have one final um, NBA segment before we move on to some other news. Um, But we actually had some breaking news, I guess, uh, you know, as we're recording this, that uh, Los Angeles Clippers star Kawhi Leonard Uh, has declined his $36 million player option for next season and is set to become an unrestricted free agent uh, at the start of free agency, which starts tomorrow or technically today when you're listening to this on Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern. So, you know, I did pose a question to you guys, you know, who's one player you guys believe will leave his current team and where do you think he'll end up? But with this news, I'm curious to know, do you guys think Kawhi could actually leave the Clippers, or do you think he'll just, you know, re-up with that team and, and stay in Los Angeles?
1: You know what, Jory, I was excited to answer your initial question. I had my notes on Rashawn Holmes all set up and how he was going to head to the Dallas Mavericks and it'd be a nice offensive option for them. But you know, with this Kawhi news and Chris Paul as well, it's it's alarming. It's it's surprising. You know, I thought. I thought they were going to go and, and accept these, these massive player options and, and enter free agency next year. You know, the, the allure of the 2022 class of Fradency was, you know, those guys and then I think Zach Levine. And, like, there's just a whole bunch of, of, of people in that class next season. But now after declining these player options, I really don't know what they're going to do. You know, with Chris Paul, <clears throat> excuse me, $44 million is a lot to turn down. So with him doing that, you got to be under the assumption that he's re-signing with the Suns for, for, you know, more money over, you know, a longer term, I should say. So you could get probably 100 mil over three years, maybe 120 over three years, somewhere in that ballpark. But, you know, in terms of Kawhi, you don't really know what he's going to do like in the Woj tweet. That, that, you know, came with that news, he said the expectation is that Kawhi is going to re-sign with the Clippers. But, like, again, nobody knows what Kawhi is going to do half the time. You know, all these sources tied to Kawhi, it's, it's hoopla. It's been Kawhi and Uncle Dennis for years now. So if it's not coming from either of them, then I don't know how you can choose to believe it. You know, so as far as where I think he's going to go, Will he resign in LA? I don't know. He could go back to Toronto. He could go to I don't, I don't even know. I don't even know who has money. He could go to Dallas. It's like it's just so confusing. But, you know, I think it's safe to bet on him returning to the Clippers. You know, his family's already in LA. I don't think he'd want to uproot them again. You know, so it's just all super concerning. And I don't know why he's declining his this player option, you know, knowing his injury situation for next year, you know, you, you ha- you'd you have to imagine that he'd just take the money, but in declining the option and in getting that financial security, you know, with signing a deal for, for three, four, five seasons down the line, you know, in the event that he comes back next year and the injury has completely sapped him with his game, he'll at least be financially secure for seasons down the road. So I understand why he did it, but man, these next couple of days are going to be a whirlwind.
2: And similar to Heaven, I was also very excited to talk about our previous question, Jory. I was ready to talk about Kyle Lowry, a star player in the NBA. But now we get to raise that a little bit and talk about a superstar in Kawhi Leonard. So no complaints here. I think that if you're Kawhi Leonard, you really have to evaluate everything as a whole. His move to the Clippers in the summer of 2019 I think I'm, I don't think I'm alone on this, but I think it's been a little bit of a disappointment for Clippers fans and for Kawhi Leonard himself. Everyone thought that the Clippers were the title favorites last season before they got taken out in the Western Conference semifinals. And then this past season, they were also one of the favorites before Kawhi Leonard got injured. So I think that he really needs to sit down and have a very long think with his camp and really discuss his future. If I'm Kawhi Leonard, and obviously I'm not, but I would seriously consider leaving the Los Angeles Clippers for another Western Conference team. And a few teams that come up are, I think the Mavericks would be a great spot for him. But I also think that if he's able to, I think he should try to go to the Suns. I mean, the Chris Paul just declined his option too, so that frees up a lot of money. So Kawhi Leonard is a, the perfect wing for the Suns because they, they really could not do anything against Giannis Antetokounmpo there in the NBA Finals. And we saw Kawhi Leonard and the Toronto Raptors be able to stifle Giannis in that Finals. And that's what the Suns need is an elite wing, someone like Kawhi Leonard that's able to play good defense and good offense. Now the Suns, obviously they'd be missing Chris Paul, so they'd have to pick up another point guard at some point maybe a Kyle Lowry or someone else. But if I'm Kawhi Leonard, I'm packing my bags as soon as I can. And just like Kevin said, his knee is still an issue, but playing in Phoenix with all these young stars and a team that just got to the finals, he's going to be able to recover from his knee injury, take as long as he needs, because he's not going to be needed to rush back into the action. The rest of the team is going to be able to right the ship, keep them steady until Kawhi Leonard, one of the five best players in the league, comes back. If he is able to leave the Clippers and go to a team like Phoenix, I think that will propel his legacy, not only as a player, but also propel legacy of everyone else around him, like Devin Booker, like DeAndre Ayton. I could really see this happening. And if I'm Kawhi, I'd seriously consider going to Phoenix and leaving Los Angeles.
0: This was uh, some crazy news, but I feel like, uh, or at least I personally believe that Kawhi is going to remain with Los Angeles, as is CP3 with Phoenix. Um, you know, like you said, Heaven, ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski noted that the expectation is that Leonard will, you know, negotiate a deal with the team and stay with them. It is a weird move though, because a lot of people figured, you know, with his injury him likely not being able to play next season. He would probably just pick up his uh, option for next season and then negotiate a deal next off season with the team or potentially a different team. But this is a, an interesting move by Leonard. I'm, I'm interested to see how this pans out. Maybe we'll get some more clarity once free agency actually starts uh, on Monday, but very, uh, very, I, don't, I mean, interesting is the, is the, the word of the day, I guess. I don't know. It's it's going to be, we'll see what happens moving forward with this whole dilemma, I guess. But that being said, now we can kind of transition out of the NBA um, to the MLB, which had its own deal of trades. We talked about Russell Westbrook going to Los Angeles in the NBA. The MLB trade deadline was this past Friday And it was one of the most hectic and entertaining ones in recent memory. Plenty of deals being made, a lot of huge names, you know, all-stars being traded, moved around the league. That being said, if you had to boil it down to one trade, one move, which one do you think was the most impactful? Which one do you think potentially shake up the league the most? And do you think it created any new contenders or new favorites to win the World Series this year?
2: My Yankee bias may be coming out here, Jory, but I believe that the New York Yankees acquiring Anthony Rizzo from the Chicago Cubs was a huge move for this Yankees organization. For a team that lacked a lot of lefty bats, they really only had Brett Gardner and Rufnet Odor, who were both very, very underwhelming this season, to be able to get a former NL MVP contender and a one of the best I would say top 10 first baseman in the league both power and hitting wise it's a great day to be a Yankees fan to be able to have someone like that coming into your clubhouse he's also a great person off the field he's able to gel that team and he'll be right under the wing of guys like Aaron Judge and Garrett Cole and he'll a lot of camaraderie between the entire season, between the entire team. And I know that it's a one-year rental, but he's what the Yankees need. And in his first two games, he was four for five with two solo home runs. And then today, he was able to tie the game up in the top of the eighth inning with a opposite field single over to left field, which scored a runner. I believe it was Brett Gardner, and so his first three games he's 3-0 with the Yankees and he's been exactly what they wanted. But he's also great with his eye on the strike zone, which a lot of Yankees are not. He got walked 3 times in his first two games. He's even hit by a pitch as well. He's not like an Aaron Judge or a Giancarlo Stanton like Gary Sanchez that will chase every down and away pitch, everything that they think they can get everything on and hit it out of the ballpark, but eventually strike out he realizes that if the ball is going down in a way that he can hold up on it and wait for a better pitch to hit he's not impatient he's a very patient hitter and will take the best uh, pitches that are provided to him and another thing is Rizzo was on the verge of getting traded to the Red Sox but the Yankees couldn't let that happen the Red Sox really needed a first baseman and the Yankees decided to cut ties with their eighth and 11th best prospects with Alexander Viciano, and Kevin Alcantara, respectively. But I don't think Yankee fans are too concerned with that. Being able to get a first baseman of Anthony Rizzo's caliber was a fantastic move for Brian Cashman and for the New York Yankees. And I think that will catapult them into a playoff spot, and they could potentially go deep with a player like Anthony Rizzo standing on first base.
1: Yeah, Jimmy, with the, the Yankees going out, acquiring Anthony Rizzo. I mean, and Joey Gallo as well. It was just, it warmed my heart. It's good to see Brian Cashman making moves, you know, with the team now a couple games away from a wild card spot. It's time for that second half push. But uh, I think one move that, you know, really shocked everybody and, you know, cemented this team as a World Series threat you know, it's, it's it's the 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 reigning champs, the Los Angeles Dodgers, going out to get Max Scherzer and Trey Turner on in the, in the same deal. Um, when that deal was announced, my jaw like quite literally dropped. I mean, it was undoubtedly the the biggest splash of the deadline to go out and get someone like Max Scherzer eight-time All-Star, three-time Cy Young winner. Like, that in itself is, is a crazy move. And then going out and get Trey Turner, you know, who was just super speedy, first-time All-Star this year. He's hit for the cycle three times. Like, that's, like, he's extremely dangerous on the base pads. Going out and getting both of them, I mean, that's just – that's crazy. That's insane, you know, the, the, the term – the rich get richer was on full display when they made that deal. I mean, going out and, and landing those guys. Now you're adding Scherzer to uh, a rotation with, with Walker Bueller and Clayton Kershaw. I mean like that's three of the, of potentially the best pitchers in the national league, all on one team. And then you're adding Trey Turner to a lineup with, with Justin Turner and Mookie Betts and Cody Bellinger and Max Muncy. Like, they're they're super stacked at this point in time i don't really see someone beating them over a series like that that's an insane collection of talent and it goes to show man you know coming off that that one ring after finally reaching the mountaintop you know that you can't ever get complacent you know you can't just sit and rest on your laurels and they went out and they they went and got their guys and it cost them you know i think they're their best and second best prospects from their farm system but going out and landing guys of that caliber totally worth it and i think the dodgers definitely uh won the trade deadline
0: yeah i think i would have to agree with you heaven i mean that's that's the trade that i listed as well Uh, they're constructing the goon squad what can i say this team is is just becoming unfair but like you said, uh, with with Dustin May out for the year, their pitcher, as well as as Kershaw, who's I believe currently on the injured list, I think a lot of people expected the Dodgers to, you know, try and find a pitcher. But like you said, I don't think anyone expected them to go out and get arguably one of the best pitchers in the entire league, who Scherzer, who has been quite fantastic during his age 36 season. He currently has an ERA of of two uh, 76 and a 34% strikeout rate. And, you know, which is about the same as his, you know, first six years with Washington. And I think it underrated the, an un, not only did the Dodgers acquire a player that they desperately needed as well as Trey Turner. I mean, that for itself is, is ridiculous, but in terms of Scherzer though, not only did the Dodgers acquire him, you know, at a position of need, they also kept him away from the Giants as well as the Padres, who are, you know, division rivals and also in need of, of some, you know, good pitching. So I feel like the fact that they had got their guy and kept them away from teams that are probably going to be competing for a World Series as well this year, I think it's a great move for the Dodgers. That being said, though, I mean, I mentioned the Giants. I think they have a they made a pretty good move as well, acquiring Chris Bryant from the Cubs. Um, you know, his ability to play all over the field, I think it's going to be it's going to prove necessary uh, for that team. You know, with some of their players injured at the moment, I think it, it'll be a good match uh, with him going to San Francisco. But only time will tell. But that being said. You know, as we're winding down here uh, on this last uh, segment for X's and Opinions, the 2020 or 2021, whatever you want to call it, Tokyo Olympics have been underway for over a week now, and we've seen some pretty incredible performances all throughout the landscape. So I just want to get your guys' opinion on this. What has been your favorite event to watch thus far? And, you know, which performances have wowed you the most? You know what, Jory,
1: uh, with this Olympic schedule being so confusing, I really find it hard to, to, to sit down and, and keep track of events. But it was uh, last Monday and I, I was just bored. I think it was like 1030 at night. And I, I turned on my, my TV and I believe it was the, the 100 meter breaststroke. I don't know anything about swimming, but I saw uh, this girl, or this woman, when uh, her name is Lydia Jacoby. And I was like, oh yeah, nice. You know, an American one, that's cool. I did some research. Turns out she's 17. The She's the first Olympic swimmer from Alaska. So there's only one Olympic sized swimming pool in the entire state. And she just won uh, an Olympic gold medal in swimming. So I just thought that was so cool, like, you know, yeah, there's there's Katie Ledecky and obviously we've seen Michael Phelps and, you know, I could talk about, you know, somebody like that or, you know, basketball or gymnastics, gymnastics excuse me, but her overcoming odds and, and going to Tokyo and, and doing this and putting it on for her country and her state. And I saw a video of people, you know, from her, her hometown in Alaska. I think she's from Seward, I want to say. That's how you pronounce it. But they were just going crazy, like, that I could only imagine how that would feel, you know, to be in that situation. So props to Lydia Jacoby, and and she's only 17, so she's got way more Olympic medals in her future. But yeah, that was really
2: cool. You went with the swimmer, Hev, and I'm also going to go with the swimmer. And it was one of them that you just mentioned. That's Katie Ledecky. Now, Katie Ledecky, the one that I want to highlight is her freestyle 800-meter swim. And she won gold the time of 8:12:57, 57 and with that she now has the 23 fastest women's 800 meter freestyle times of all time ranging between eight minutes and four seconds and eight minutes and 13 seconds so if you're an olympian and you see katie Ledecki ready to swim in the 800 meter freestyle good luck that's all i can say to you because this woman is a monster Even if you have a really, really good time and you happen to breach one of those top 23 all-time 800-meter freestyle times, Katie Ledecky will still have, you know, the top 10, the top 15 of all time. And she's been doing this since she was 15 years old. She won her first 800-meter freestyle at the age of 15 in London 2012. Now, Jory, Heaven, I don't know what you two were doing at the age of 15, I wasn't exactly winning gold medals for Team USA. I was dishwashing at my first job. But this is absolutely incredible. She's just 24. It's the beginning of her story. And she also has a budding rivalry with, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this correctly, but Ariane Titmus of Australia. And the two of them are going back and forth, going blow for blow. But right now, Kigio Deke is winning in this Olympics. Titmus has two golds, 200 meter freestyle and 400 meter freestyle. One silver, which was the 800 meter freestyle I just mentioned before that Katie Ledecky won. She has one bronze in the four by 200 meter freestyle relay. But Ledecky just won her 10th medal and sixth gold on Saturday night in that 800 meter freestyle. And I'm just, every time that I put on the swimming event and I see Katie Ledecky, I know I'm in for a show you got to make your popcorn and you got to watch you got to have your candy ready because she puts on an absolute show every time that she steps in that pool
0: yeah i mean both of uh, swimming is is an interesting event in the olympics because it's like i don't think anyone necessarily cares about swimming up until the olympics then it seems like it's the most popular sport but it's really incredible what they're accomplishing it's 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 freaky how how fast they're moving in that water. But that being said, I think the most impressive performance that I've seen personally thus far came in the men's gymnastics uh, side of things. That being said, there's a lot of um, pundits who believe that, that Japan, who's this year's host country, of course, would be taking home gold in the men's gymnastics team competition. Um, even though their roster was made up of all Olympic rookies, They have produced some of the most incredible men's gymnasts in recent memory, including um, Kohei Uchimura, who had an unfortunate ending to his Olympic career in the individual all around competition. But that being said, the ROC or the Russian Olympic Committee, um, led by Nikita Nagorny, I hope I'm pronouncing these names correctly, he um, took down Japan. Almost single handedly, um, the gymnastics powerhouse by 0. 0.103 points in the team competition, which was the closest competition in men's gymnastics in the last 15 years. So, that alone made the competition a lot of fun to watch. But the craziest thing that came from this was Nagorni's teammate, um, Arthur Deloyan. I hope I, again, I, I, these pronunciations, are, are, are just not my forte, but he, you may have heard of his story. He tore his Achilles tendon about four months prior to the Olympics and somehow was out there competing for his team. I was grimacing the entire time. Every time he was up, I couldn't watch because it was, I was just afraid he was going to hurt himself. And I think there was even a story that came out how his coaches almost didn't want him to come to the Olympics, they were shocked that he could even walk, let alone, you know, compete at this level. So it it was really an incredible performance by ROC and in men's gymnastics. I think that's, at least for me, been the most interesting thing I've seen thus far. But it's been a lot of fun to watch, you know, with track and field now kind of gearing up. We've seen some Already some gold medals in there, some world records. I think in the women's triple jump, there was a world record that got set, I think, yesterday or maybe earlier today. So it, it's been a lot of fun watching all of these all of these athletes compete at the highest level. Um, you know, it's making up for what we missed, obviously, last year because of everything getting shut down with the coronavirus pandemic. But that being said, that's going to do it for us. Myself, Jory Mickens, Heaven Hill, and Jimmy Bliss on this episode of X's and Opinions. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to follow us on the socials. And until next time, take care, everyone.